Well, good morning, Life Church, and welcome to all of you who are joining us for Church Online this morning. Remember, during this season, we're doing three weeks of the month at your place, one week at ours. When we meet publicly, we meet at the Orlando Museum of Art on Sunday evening at 6 p.m., first Sunday of the month. Our next public gathering will be on Easter evening right there at the museum at 6 p.m. I hope you can come. In the meantime, right now, we're continuing our series called One Story. Today, we're gonna finish uh, Israel's time in the desert wilderness by looking at the next generation, uh, because there are, these are the ones that are actually going to enter into the promised land. The generation that left slavery in Egypt, if you remember, besides Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, they all died in the wilderness because of their refusal to trust God. So now there's this next generation. And with this new generation, God's heart is not to punish them because of the sins of their parents. No, quite the opposite. God wants them to go down a whole different path. So we're gonna look real carefully here at Joshua chapter one, at the promises that God makes to the Israelites right as they stand at the, at the banks of the Jordan River. And this is where it begins in Joshua chapter one, verse one. Here's how it goes. After the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. And he talks about the boundaries of the promised land for a moment. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. <laughs> There's kind of a recurring phrase there, isn't there? Be strong and courageous. God's saying, don't live in fear. Don't make the same mistakes that your parents made. I'll be with you. Every place that you set foot, I've already gone ahead of you. You're not going to undertake the rest of your life just simply on the power of your own resources. God's saying, I'm with you. Now, I there's a, um, uh, we're gonna go on into uh, verse 10 real quick here and look what it says in verses 10 and 11. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land your, the Lord your God is giving you. So there's a little phrase that I want us to take a look at for a moment and it's this real simple phrase, three days. Say that with me, three days. There's a pattern in the Old Testament. Very often people are told they're gonna to have to wait a little while for deliverance or for rescue or for God's power to be shown in their lives. And the waiting period is generally three days. If you think about it back in Genesis chapter 40 in the story of Joseph that we, that we uh, talked about a few weeks ago, Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, when he's still in prison, he says, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your job. Then in Exodus chapter three, Moses asks Pharaoh, he says, let us go three days into the wilderness. Well, why three days? That gets cleared up in Exodus chapter 19, where that phrase occurs three more times. God says, consecrate the people and get them ready by the third day, for on the third day, the Lord will come down. 
The Old Testament woman Esther says that she's going to fast how many days? Three days, and then she'll go to the king to seek deliverance for the people. Jonah in the Old Testament is swallowed up by a large fish. How long is he in the belly of the fish? Three days. And I bet Jonah's prayer probably included this phrase, God, please just let me go out the same way I came in. <laughs> anyway, all this, of course, is really just a, a setup for the big three-day thing that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the what? On the third day, according to the scriptures. The third day, friends, is God's day. The third day is the day that prisoners get set free and mountains shake and rivers get parted. The third day is the day that harem girls face down kings and prophets get dropped off at seaside ports from a large fish. And it's the day that stones get rolled away and the crucified Lamb of God comes back to life. And from that day on, God's followers who used to observe the Sabbath now observe instead on Sunday what John in Revelation calls the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day. Because we're third day people now. You never know what God's gonna do on the third day. And we're third day people. Now, God has something extraordinary in mind for Joshua and the people of Israel on the third day. In chapter two, after receiving these promises from God, Joshua sends two spies into the city of Jericho. I've actually been to ancient Jericho. They say it's the oldest continually inhabited city on earth. And in Jericho, 3,400 years ago, there's a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab, she risks her life to protect these two spies. Now you think about Rahab for a moment. If anybody knew what she was up to, that would be the end of her life. She's betting everything on the God of Israel, including her life. Now, despite the fact that she's a pagan and a prostitute, she becomes eventually celebrated in the history of Israel. And she's mentioned in the New Testament books of Matthew and Hebrews and James. She becomes a hero of the faith because she does what God asks him uh, or all people to do. Trust him, just trust him. Now, by the way, in Joshua chapter two, she hides the spies. Guess how many days they're hidden before they can go, th before they can go free? <laughs> three days. All right, now we go on to chapter three. The third day comes also in chapter three, and God's gonna do something remarkable here. But on the third day, there's something God is asking his people to do first. God gives some fairly lengthy instructions to Joshua. Tells them that the people are gonna cross over the Jordan River, and the priests are to carry the Ark of the Covenant and go before the people. It's a way of symbolizing that these people are being guided by God himself, which, by the way, is what is possible to us now for those of us that have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Okay, now, verse 13, here's what it says. The priest will carry the ark of the Lord. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. Now, to understand really the significance of what's going on here, We've got to talk just a little bit about the River Jordan. It's a real, real important river in the life of Israel. It's the eastern border of their land. And as you know, in the ancient world, water could be really, really scarce. So as uh, a river is very, very highly valued. In many countries, the river, the primary river was seen as sacred. In Egypt, the Nile was considered sacred. The Ganges is considered sacred in India. The Jordan River was never considered sacred in Israel. The Jordan River stood as kind of a barrier 
It's what stood between the people of God who are on this side and the promised land, the, the land and the life that God calls them to on the other side. It's something they've got to get across. Now, to the people who lived in Canaan in that day, it was their protection from the people of Israel. And they thought of their God, Baal, as being associated with the river there at the Jordan. So gods are often associated with water back then. That's why a lot of the miracles we've seen thus far in their story, the parting of the Red Sea, water miraculously coming from the rock in the wilderness, a lot of the miracles that we see early on in the life of Israel are miracles that involve water because God wants people to know everywhere that he's the God of everything, including water. Now, the Jordan River actually starts way up at Mount Hermon and comes down through the Sea of Galilee and it keeps on flowing down from there to the Dead Sea. Mount Hermon, where it starts, has an elevation of about 7,000 feet. Where it ends up at the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, 1,290 feet below sea level. So there's a descent of this river that's over 8,000 8, feet. So scholars think that the word Jordan, actually the name for the Jordan River, comes from a Hebrew word which means river that descends rapidly. <laughs> Makes sense to me. So the water flows quite fast and that could make it difficult to get across. Now, usually it wasn't. For the most part, the Jordan is not a very big river most times out of the year. But here is where things start to get a little bit interesting. In Joshua 3.15, it says these words. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So now it's much bigger, it's deeper, and it's faster. And when the people are there at the Jordan River, there's just no way to get across. There's no bridges, no boats, no jet skis, no nothing. They've come all this way, and now here's the promised land right before them. They can see it from where they are, and there's no way to get across the Jordan River. And they wonder, I'm sure they wondered, what in the world has Joshua gotten us into? So God speaks up there and he says, I'm going to make a way for you to cross the Jordan. I want you to go down and put a foot in the river, and when you do, I'll make a way. It's going to be fun. Be great. <laughs> now here's where it gets a little dicey. At flood stage, the gorge through which the River Jordan runs through can sometimes fill all the way to the top, which can be between 10 and 20 feet deep. Stepping into that is not like stepping into an infinity pool. No, no, no. Stepping in is like stepping into the deep end, and it's running fast. So with the Jordan River at flood stage, when you step into the river, you step into the river. Now, at the very lead are the priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, imagine for a second, you're just, you're the first priest carrying the Ark towards it. And Joshua says, go ahead and step in. You're stepping into the river. If it doesn't part, you might be down 20 feet holding a huge crate with stone tablets on the inside of it. I mean, think about your options. Can't let go of the Ark or you die. Can't hold on to it, you drown. If God doesn't come through here, you're sunk literally. Now, if I was the lead guy with the ark, I might be tempted to turn to the priest behind me and say, you know what? I'm pretty sure I was in front yesterday. I think it's your turn to go in front today. <laughs> it's a pretty sobering thing that God's asking his people to do. Now, here's the lesson that God is teaching. They faced an obstacle. There's a barrier there. The Jordan is the barrier. They've got to get across this Jordan River to get to God's best for them. And God's power is sufficient. He'll come through. He'll deliver his people. But he's asking them to take the first step. And this might be called the law of the first step. Say that with me. The law of the first step. They will not see God's power 
They'll not see this mighty display of God's faithfulness until they step in the water first. This is how trust works. See, God is saying, I'm going to manifest my power in your life. But if you want to see my power, you've got to take a step. You've got to take the spiritual risk of trusting me first. To be in relationship with me, the, the kind of life that I have for you, it's going to involve the risk of obedience. And what do they do? They trust. They obey. They step in and God comes through. Miraculously, it's parted and the whole nation of Israel crosses over the Jordan River into the promised land once and for all. It's a miracle and they celebrate on the other side. Now, most of the rest of the book of Joshua involves a series of battle stories that kind of center in on this theme. Will the people of God trust God enough to do what he says, how he says it? And when they do, God's power shows up in amazing ways as they trust God to help them take the land that he's called them to take. It was promised to them. There's a couple of very interesting points along the way, to me at least, I want to point out. In Joshua chapter 5, a real cool thing happens. Remember the manna that we talked about, the miraculous provision of food that they had in the desert for all these 40 years while they were there. Well, the manna stops. All of a sudden, it's no longer. Here's what it says in verse 12. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. So finally, they begin to eat from the land of milk and honey that God had promised them so long ago. The manna miraculously came. It miraculously stopped as soon as they were provided with the food of Canaan. It's an amazing thing. Now, in Joshua chapter 6, it talks about the fall of the city of Jericho. Jericho is the oldest fortified city in Canaan. It might even be the oldest fortified city in the world. But it's also quite small. Uh, archaeologists' best estimate is that it might only be four to five acres behind double walls. Whatever the size was, it was clearly quite small, probably smaller than the property that the Orlando Museum of Art sits on, the place where we meet. So Israel could have defeated it by attack, but instead they get very, very specific instructions from God. And he says to them, walk around the city of Jericho seven days, and on the seventh day, walk around that city seven times. Couldn't have been that big if they could circle the city seven times in one day, but they do it. Now, the soldiers are going to feel a little bit silly doing that, aren't they? But there's a reason for it. God says that it is so you will know that the Lord has given you this city. He's saying, this is God's work. God's saying, will you trust me enough to do something even if you feel a little bit silly while you're doing it? <laughs> Again, it's a lesson on trust. All right, now we get to Caleb. Then there's Caleb. Caleb was one of the 12 spies, if you remember, 40 years earlier, sent out by Moses to go scout out the Promised Land. If you remember, only Joshua and Caleb trusted God. They were the only ones that came back and said, we can absolutely take the Promised Land. We can do it. Everybody else said, no, we're too big. We can't do it. They said, we can. God is with us. Now, because of Israel's unbelief, Caleb had to spend the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness. From when he was 40 years old, then the next four decades, he can't cross the Jordan. Not because he lacks faith, but because the people do. By the time they cross the Jordan now, he's 80 years old. And now it's even five years later after that. He's now 85. Caleb is 85 years old. Keep that in mind. Let's look what he says in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. 
Caleb speaks and says, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. This guy's 85 years old and he asks for the hill country. It's the hardest land to take. He also asked to face the Anakites, Israel's most formidable opponent. This guy's 85 years old. You'd think he'd ask for a nice condo at Shalom Acres or Del Boca Vista or something like that. That's not what he asked for. He says, God, give me one more chance to take some ground for God. 45 years I've been waiting for this chance. Don't let me miss it now. Wow. Caleb is a stud in my book. Now, the rest of the book of Joshua tells of their campaign to occupy the land. We're going to get into that more next week, but I want to say a word about where we're headed. Everybody, everybody has a what's up with that kind of question about the Old Testament. I mean, for me, the single most difficult issue in the Old Testament is the war and violence that takes place that God seems not only to condone, but to actually command. And I think this issue raises some very serious questions for people of all kinds, believers, non-believers as well. I mean, it's bothersome. I mean, truth is most conscientious believers look at this and then they kind of look away and pretend it's not there. I mean, it's difficult. And those that don't wrestle with it, they frighten me. I mean, they're like, they're just fine with the command to slaughter an entire village. There are actually good answers for the great answers, actually, but you can't skim. You've got to look at it straight on with no pretending. You can reconcile a loving God with the harshness of the Old Testament. And it's actually good news that we discover here that helps us understand God and law and Jesus and Old Covenant and New Covenant and grace. Because God, my friends, is he's bigger than you think. He's bigger than you think. So I really hope that you'll tune in. And for some, I really believe it's going to turn the light on for you and be so helpful for you. And for others who have a little strain of self-righteousness in you, this could tick you off. <laughs> anyway, one last thought on today. What's your Jordan River? Think about that. What's your Jordan River? Where's God asking you to take a step of faith? Here's one thing I know. Everybody faces the Jordan at some point in time. Everybody faces barriers that try to prevent us from entering into the life that God has for us. And God says, I've already gone before you. I'll, I'll be with you. Every step you take, I've already occupied the land. But you've got to choose. And after stepping into whatever your Jordan is, it always involves overcoming fear. Almost every time it does. That's why Joshua 1, God says over and over and over again, we read it. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. There was one guy that was uh, talking about how he knew God was calling him to do something, but it just scared him to death to think about it. He took a long walk with his wife, and he was talking about this and revealing to her this thing that God was calling him to do that he was so scared about. And he said this. He said, every time I think about doing this, my palms get all sweaty. 
And they kept on talking, kept on walking. Another hour goes by talking about the same thing. And he says, every time I, I think about doing this thing God wants me to do, my, my mouth gets all dry. And his wife says, well, well, why don't you lick your sweaty palms? Mercy and compassionate people are wonderful, aren't they? <laughs> now, for some people watching, maybe it's palm licking time. Time for some spiritual risk taking. God's power usually gets, re gets released when someone trusts him enough to step out and obey him. And some people, my friends, they spend their whole life standing scared on the banks of the Jordan River, afraid to cross. They're just waiting for the waters to part first. Like, okay, God, you part the waters first, I'll be the first one in. But make it easy for me, God. First give me whatever it is I think I need, and then I will take this big step of faith. Like, maybe you're tempted to think, God, give me lots of money, and then I'll promise I'll be generous. Or God, give me lots of confidence, then I promise I'll, I'll speak up about you, I'll tell friends about you. Or God, I mean, clear up my schedule, God, and then I promise I'll start spending time with you. It's not really how the law of the first step works, is it? No, it's not. There's a first step that you need to take, and you know what it is. We always know what it is. Let's not pretend that we don't. And let's just ask God for the faith and the strength to take that next right step, because there is one. And God will show you, and God will strengthen you. Now, why don't we pray? Lord, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we're grateful for the law of the first step that gives us an opportunity to demonstrate faith, to get up sometimes and just take a step ahead. And Lord, so often we know what it is that you're calling us to do. And we pray now, Lord, you give us the faith and the strength to take that next right step. I pray for all my brothers and sisters that are watching right now, Lord. Give them that faith. Give them that strength, Lord. And I pray that this... Um, inner prompting, Lord, to take this step stays with us until we obey, and then that we might receive, Lord, from you the blessing of obedience. Thank you for being such a good God. We love you. It's an honor to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, next Sunday morning, we are online again at 10 a.m. The following week, two weeks from today, we gather publicly on Sunday evening, Easter night at 6 p.m., Orlando Museum of Art, I hope that you make your plans to come and bring a friend and we'll celebrate Easter all together. We're going to have some food there afterwards. It's going to be a great night. So make your plans there to be, okay? All right, uh, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Mm -hmm.